Welcome to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Sit back, relax, and grab a beverage with your host, David Bischlein. Welcome back to another episode of the Adoptive Dad Playbook podcast. Man, this has been a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying making these episodes, getting to talk to people. I hope you guys are getting something out of them. I know that I'm learning from adoptive and foster dads, and I hope that you are as well. They're a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Today's guest is no different. He brings a wealth of knowledge. He is a adoptive dad, a foster dad, and he also is part of a multiracial family. Today's episode is called Multi-Multi-Family because he has a Chinese son and an African-American foster daughter. Just a guy that brings a lot of good experience, life experience, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Our guest today is a 15-year veteran of the ministry. He has spent the last nine years at Northside Christian Church, which my wife and I used to attend in Springfield, Missouri. He is a foster and adoptive dad and a husband, a musical master. He is also, most importantly, a Denver Broncos fan from Houston, Missouri. I'd like to welcome Alan Tiger. Hello, Alan. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. What's up, man? Good to be here. Good to uh, celebrate a Broncos win as well. So not many of them, so we got to go hard, right? <laughs> Drew Locke, riding Drew Locke, all right? Locke or yeah. guy, or is that my son? <laughs> now, before we get started, I just want to tell our listener well, all one of them, probably my parents, um, <laughs> that Alan and I have known each other for a, quite a while. He was a uh, music minister at Christian Campus House in Springfield, Missouri. How long did you do that, Alan? I was there for five years, four, four and a half, five years. Yeah, I know. I was on the board, I think, for some of that time, I'm pretty sure, or at least and part of let that. Me, you let me stay. Yes. I did. It yeah. was... I was kind of like the black sheep of the board. I kind of came up with crazy new ideas that all the old timers were like, oh, we can't do that. Um, but it was good. It was an interesting thing. So I've known Alan for a long time. I've known his wife for quite a while. Lovely, awesome people. And he is a great journey to tell. Alan, uh, I know during this time of COVID, how has your family been during all this? Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting. Um, I mean, I've got I got a lot of health stuff back in in the history, um, so a lot of chemo in the in the past, all that sort of stuff. So um, I guess you would put me in that immunocompromised category. So I've been um, I've been staying pretty distant, um, which is kind of hard when you work with college students because they are not distant. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of been, it's kind of been the dance I've been, I've been playing really the last few months is, is trying to figure out when, you know, how can you meet and how can you do it safely? Also keeping the kids at safe home, you know, safe at home. Um, you know, both kids are, are either in daycare or at school now. So there's a little bit of risk there, but other than that, um, yeah, we're just kind of, um, just kind of being safe, masking up, doing those, you know, doing all the stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we, that's how we are. Uh, I know for the listener, my mom and dad, that's what I said before. Um, <clears throat> you are a two-time cancer survivor. I'm going to say you kicked cancer's butt twice. Uh, and that's, what's an incredible part of your story. I know one undefeated. time I, I, undefeated, undefeated. I know I got to bring yeah. you Kentucky fried chicken one time in the hospital. I almost, <laughs> I almost ate it uh, on the way in. And my wife goes, don't you dare get any for yourself. Uh, yeah. But I know that you've kicked cancer's butt twice. And that's an incredible part of your story is that you are a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, not one, but twice. 
And you are from Houston, Missouri, which uh, he's not doesn't live in Houston. He's from Houston, though. Tiny, tiny town. Right. Uh, where yeah. would you Houston, call it? North Missouri. Uh, yes. it's, yeah, it's South it's Central. Little. South yeah. Central Missouri. It's South Central. But yeah, it's it's small. Definitely, definitely small town vibe. So I've you know, when I was a, when I was coaching down there, we used to drive through Houston a lot to get to the Salem's and, you know, by the West Plains and the Mountain Groves is and all that. Yeah, so. All of those teams just whooped us every single Friday night. So, yeah. Speaking football, that's I, I can't stand any of those towns, but just because of those nights. So, well, I mean, everyone, someone's got to lose, and so I mean, <laughs> it was us all the time. Yeah, I've taken my fair share of of lumps as well. All right, we're gonna get into it here. We're gonna give Alan his warm up questions. Number one, what is your drink of choice currently? What are you drinking right now? Uh, right now, um, I've got on one side, I've got a Coke because that's what's free out of our machine. Um, on the other side is some coffee, um, which when you knew me, like when we used to hang out, it was Mountain Dew all the time. Yes. But, uh, I am. I'm a, I'm a coffee junkie now. So pour over espresso, all the stuff, man. I'm that, I'm that nerd now. So coffee, coffee, coffee. We're good. All right. Let me ask you this. What's the one thing that annoys your wife and kids the most? There's got to be one thing that you re- that really just drives your wife and or your kids crazy. Uh, I'm, uh, I'd say I'm a professional pile maker. So like our house has all of these little piles of things that I've started and not completed. Um, I don't know if that bothers the kids. Um, I mean, one of them can't even crawl yet. So that's, she doesn't care, but, um, uh, I guess between me and the sun, we, we all make piles, um, just, just <laughs> piles everywhere. My wife is very, very neat, very, um, you know, very organized most of the time. And so I am, uh, yeah, I'll start things and just kind of leave them right where they are. So there's a pile of tools somewhere or a pile of clothes somewhere, or a, you know, pile of food somewhere, just whatever I decided to do something else. Um, the pile That's- just, so yeah. Um, that uh, sounds like you're at the Bishline house. The stuff of their piles at my house, it's just random stuff strewn about. All right, next question. <laughs> what TV show, podcast, or movie are you really, or book have you gotten into recently? What's something you've kind of really dug? Whew, and we've been um, we've been keeping up with This Is Us. That's kind of our emotional letdown of the evening, you know. We do, you know. So yeah, that's uh, we've been we've been doing that. So kind of keeping up. We're a little behind right now. So I think I'm missing stuff. But. You mean the show drama for the sake of drama is what I like yeah. to call it. My yeah. wife uh, digs that show. Uh, <laughs> I've tried to watch it. I'm like, okay, what, what, why did that? Why, what is that what? drama for the sake of drama? I get it. It's, I mean, I can see the appeal, but uh, yeah. it's yeah, it's it. a lot. It's like you know, nothing happened in my life today. So let's let's go see what happened to Kevin. So I have my own good. problems. I have to take care of. Not yeah. a little bit. <laughs> All right, last question, or the warm-up questions at least. Have You have one afternoon, no kids, and no wife. What are you going to do? Oh, well, this actually happened last week for us on our anniversary, 11 years. Um, <clears throat> we had <clears throat> my, my wife's sister took the kiddos, and so we had an afternoon and an evening. Um, so we got, uh, you'll appreciate this, Emo's Pizza, um, we got emos and we, uh, we grabbed some snacks on the way home. We watched, uh, I we watched a movie or some shows or something. I don't know. We just, we just, we stayed up way too late, ate a bunch of junk food, including emos, you know? I mean, knowing your wife, she probably had like two squares and she's done. Cause she's about as big <laughs> as a twig. <laughs> she did well. I mean, the, she, she, she doesn't eat the emos often, but, um, but yeah, we had somebody giving us a gift card. So we just, we maxed it out. 
um, just had a real, we, the best part about that whole thing was the morning where we just did not have to set an alarm. We woke up at like, you know, you still wake up at the same time, but you, you know, you don't have to rush out of bed before the kids come running in. I get you there. My, our kids are old enough now. We don't have to get up, but we still do because they'll get up like at five 30 and want to play video games or, or watch or watch YouTube or something like that. So well, yeah, it's that coming. is an issue that we coming. do. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's kind of get in just getting the meat and potatoes, quote unquote, if you're not, if you're a vegetarian, the meat and tofu. Um, so kind of just walk us through your adoption journey because it's it's awesome so for the listener alan has adopted or he's adopted once and he's fostering currently he adopted from china a little boy from china um and he is currently fostering uh, a little how old's your foster daughter uh she's nine months old yeah and how old's your son uh, he turned six on Saturday. Yeah, he's he's pretty close to Tim's age, my youngest. Yeah. I know Hudson, and so your your journey is really incredible. To guy, why don't you just kind of go through first off, just in general to our listener, what what's your kind of go through that for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I guess you go you go way back, and we've mentioned kind of the health the health stuff in the past. Um, a couple cancer diagnoses, one when I was sixteen, one when I was twenty four. Um, and, uh, that, that really kind of did a number on a lot of my, a lot of my body. Again, my kidneys aren't loving me right now. So trying to avoid the COVID. Um, but just also that was, you know, that kind of put an end to our, the possibility of biological children. That was, that was pretty early on. Um, radiation and chemo just don't, don't really bode well for that. So we, um, you know, getting married, we kind of, we kind of knew there, there really wasn't much of a possibility for bio children, but, um, my wife and I both through international, um, mission trips and just doing some, you know, just, just kind of having, having a love for the world in general, um, was, was just, you know, both of us loving kids as well, knew that we, we, we wanted kids. Um, so adoption was kind of on the table from the start, um, so we waited about five years before we started the process with the international adoption in China, which took us uh, about two years overall. Um, our, our story with Hudson is, is kind of crazy. I know um, a lot of people have kind of the backs and forths and the ups and downs. And ours was just a really long, just a really long wait. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of that, but we didn't, ever, we didn't ever really ever have like the rug pulled out from under us, that sort of stuff. Some of the heartbreak that we've heard a lot of. But, um, you know, we, we finally got all of our home study and stuff done, but it was like right at the start of the Chinese New Year. Um, this is like 2017, I believe. Um, 2017 into 2018. And so the whole country just shuts down, um, you know, for, for celebration. And so we just waited and waited and waited. And it was like, uh, it, was, it was February, um, uh, mid-February, pretty close to my Valentine's Day. My birthday is about, about a week after that too, right around in there when we got the call. And they had said, we've got a match and we're, you know, why don't you take a look at these pictures and the medical history, all that. And so, um, so that was Hudson. We, um, we traveled um, to get him. He was two and a half years old when we brought him home. Like I said, he'll be six this coming Saturday. Um, he's thriving. He's had um, a lot of cleft lip and palate surgeries and that sort of stuff. So that was his special need. Um, all, all adoptions through China are special needs. Um, I think, well, I think unless you're adopting from internationally from, uh, or, or siblings and or older children, they're all going to can be considered special needs from what yeah, Red yeah. and I, from our, from our experience of walking through international adoption, it's, 
it's really rare. And I, I, I guess if you were, some countries are willing, but you have to go there for like six months or four months and kind of live there um, for that. So when you adopted from China, like, did you guys fundraise? Uh, did you kind of save? How did you fund that? Yeah, we did a little bit of both. Um, uh, all in all, I think, I think the adoption overall just being kind of just lay it out there. I, I think it ended up costing us about 30 grand. That's it total. Yeah. Wow. Which um, it may have, it may have gone a little higher than that. I don't know. I'm not really the budget one, but um, that's, that's the number I remember. Um, we kind of committed before we would start the process to save 10,000 of our own. Um, and that was kind of, that was kind of our like measure of like, once we get to this point, we'll be ready. And then we, and then, yeah, we sent out um, kind of, um, prayer cards where it was just, you know, a picture of our family and saying, Hey, we're doing this. If you'd like to follow our journey, here's our blog. We were selling, um, we were selling t-shirts through a company here in Springfield. That was like a, it was a $20 t-shirt and we got 10 of it, which was really one of the better deals with that type of a fundraiser that we had found. Um, that made us a couple thousand dollars. And then we used, um, we used an online platform that was adopt together, um, I think it's .org. I know they've they've kind of merged with charity.org or something like that as well. I, but I adopt- think that, is that similar to the Life Song? Is that similar? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's close. Um, adopt together is really just. Um, I mean, it kind of feels like a oh, like a GoFundMe or right, that, that right. sort of a thing where you make a profile and then um, the amazing thing with that is there's just like there were just companies that would like search profiles on that website and just randomly give money. I, I remember one specifically, we get, we got this random $500 grant and we're like, like, who did this come from? And we went and looked through everything and it said PepsiCo, like the company Pepsi. Wow. And so you get towards the end of a year and companies are looking to, you know, donate and that sort of stuff. And they find sites like this. So we did all of the donations. We, we told people they could send us checks and that sort of stuff, but we just wanted to keep it. We, we kind of felt got to fall under their tax exempt umbrella, that sort of stuff. So we didn't have to mix things up with the church. The church was willing to do it. They were actually also doing it for another couple in the church, um, giving them the tax exempt status to, to take the donations. We just didn't want to mix with being staff on the church and getting that, that weird. So we went with an outside organization. Um, and you drink, really, and you're really drinking great. Coke and you're drinking Coke and Pepsi donut. <laughs> I know and Pepsi, okay. Pepsi funded my, they yeah, funded yeah. your adoption and you're drinking Coke, yeah, man. They're going to take it back. They're going to take when, it back. Uh, so when you, when you traveled to China, was that a two week roughly? How long were you in, in China? Yeah. Where did you go in China? Kind of. Um, I think we were there for two and a half weeks. Um, it was kind of an all over sort of a thing. The first half of the trip um, was was all planned before we even met Hudson. Um, so we actually did a lot of touristy stuff, which is a weird thing because you're like there, you want to meet your son, all this sort of stuff. But they also know that you're not going to want to sit through the Chinese circus, you know, with a with a kid that doesn't know you and it's just screaming, you know, screaming his head off, that sort of stuff. So we got to do a lot of the the cultural things ahead of time. So we we flew into Beijing. Um, got to do a lot of the capital city stuff and the emperor's palace and Tiananmen Square, all of that stuff. And got, you know, actually had some friends um, who we knew that were over there and they, they met us in Beijing. It was an international student that we knew. And uh, so, so that was, that was really, really cool. So he kind of took us around to the places. He's like, no, nah, you don't want to go to the McDonald's. You want to go to this, you know, like, which I don't, I don't entirely recommend. Now, by the end of the trip, McDonald's was like my go-to because the cheeseburgers taste the same. So and they have, pe- they have Coke there instead of Pepsi. They have, have a lot of Coke. Um, yeah. I, there was a lot of that. So. so let me, let me, let me guide you here. I'm, I'm curious because I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube and I think a lot of adoptive parents look into like, 
the gotcha day. What was your gotcha day or whatever you guys want to call it? I know some people don't like that term. So yeah. you, you show up, what city did you pick Hudson up and kind of sh- share with us what that day and that moment was like? Because as we prepare or hopefully get to prepare for that at some point, uh, that to me is like, it's exciting, but it's also kind of extremely nerve wracking. Because I think in China, you don't, you see your child and then you take them with you. Correct. Am I right in that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know in the Korea program, you get to meet your child yeah. twice, maybe once you leave, you know, if, if long as there's no quarantine and then you come back and get them. But for you yeah. kind of explain what it was like to meet your son, a child that you love that you've never met before. You love this kid, never met him. And you're like, he's like, look at these white dudes. What is this white guy doing there? And, and yeah. kind of go through that. Cause I think that to me is one of the awesomest, parts of love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the night before in the hotel, I mean, we'd done all of this, you know, traditional Chinese stuff and we're just, we're getting ready to go to bed. And the next day we're meeting our son and, you know, we're, we're calling him Hudson. He doesn't know that yet. Like, it's just this, this whole, like everything is about to change. And I just remember um, us both. I mean, we were both like crying. It's like, what if this kid hates us? Like, what if, what if we made the wrong choice? What if it's completely, you know, like, what if he's just, you know, I mean, he's, he's two and a half. He has no idea what's about to happen. Let me ask you this. I, I know that I didn't want to interrupt you, but I have heard a lot of stories about Chinese adoptions where you go to get your child and not all of their diagnoses have been disclosed. Yeah. Were you nervous about that? Was that something that you were like in the back of your mind as you, as you met them? Because I've heard a story. And I, I'm sure this is rare. They picked their child up and the child was partially deaf and they didn't even know that. Like, did that yeah. cross your mind at all? Well, we, there was some, a few inconsistencies, you know, when they're, when they're translating medical documents from Chinese to English, um, you know, some things get a little weird there. And there were some inconsistencies with Hudson. We, we were a little bit worried about some things. And then some of, honestly, just some of his behavioral reports that we'd gotten from, from the orphanage that he was at. Um, we were just like this kid, like it, it was, you know, that he's really angry that he's, you know, he screams when he doesn't get what he wants and all this. And we're like, okay, so that sounds like every other two-year-old in the world, but like, what if there's something neurological, that sort of thing going on there? So, so that was, it was, it was really terrifying. That was, that was most of the emotion of that night is like, we have no idea what we're walking into. Um, and so, so yeah, the, that day um, we get up we get on a bus, they take us to, um, I guess in, in America, you could kind of, you could kind of equate it to like the county seat. Like it's, it's like the place where all the government stuff happens. And by that time we had left Beijing and we kind of went to like central China, um, to this, uh, this city called, uh, Zhangzhou, which is where, where the, the, the county seat of this, which for them, it's a, you know, it's a huge province. Um, so all the government stuff happens there. The, the interesting thing with Hudson, he actually was not coming from the other from the orphanage that the other kids were coming from. We traveled with about six other families, um, and so we got to know them as well. And so we're all meeting our child that day. Well, Hudson had come from uh, farther away. He came from Shanghai, which is way over on the on the east coast of China, right there. Um, you know, big city. He he was living in a in a healing home, which is where they'll send they'll send uh, kids from um, from a from like an orphanage, they'll go to a healing home to get ready for a surgery. So like a cleft lip or palate surgery. And then after the surgery, they go there to heal afterwards. The, the, the great thing about Hudson is he never left the healing home. So we're talking about like going instead of him being in an orphanage of like 80 to 100 plus kids, there were like 40 in the healing home. 
And so it was really more of a, um, of a one-on-one situation. So we started getting way better reports towards the end of, you know, towards the end of our time. So he had actually come from, from, from Shanghai the night before and had stayed in an orphanage that he'd never been in. And so this is freaking us out as well. Like he doesn't know these nannies. He doesn't know, you know, everything is just weird. So when we got there, um, he was there. So they were kind of, they were kind of like getting us all ready because they were like, okay, you're going to, you could wait up to an hour or two hours. Cause they're bringing these kids from all over China and, you know, with trains and all that sort of stuff. When we got there out of all of these families, he was there. It was just Hudson. He's in the middle of the room on a rocking horse. And we're just like, is that him? Cause we've seen pictures with him. We're like, is that, is it whatever? And then they're like, yeah. So we hand off our cameras and we hand off our, um, you know, our, our phones and all that sort of stuff to the, these friends that we've made and they start filming and we've got like a 20 minute video of, of, which is, which is just a, an amazing piece of history for us and our family of him, you know, not really being interested in us, not being interested, in whatever, until I, that was my off. next question. What, yeah, was no, he like, was, he was no not dice. having it. Yeah. He wasn't getting off of that, that rocking horse until I pulled out the curious George doll and uh, then he w- he took the doll that he had and threw it away and grabbed George and I was <laughs> able to pick him up. Um, you he know, was curious. You know. Yeah, he was very curious. Yeah. So we um so you know we played little tickle games there for a while and then he started to grow. By the time the other families started showing up, him and Bree were laying on the floor playing. It was just like this. It was one of those kind of surreal instant bond connections. And by the time we left. He was he was dead asleep in her arms. He was just like worn out, which which we know now the kid hates to sleep. So it was uh, we were sure that he didn't sleep the night before because a new place and all that sort of stuff. So um, but like just from that, I remember we took him back to the hotel. He took like a four hour nap and then he ate like I've never seen a kid eat before. And then it was, you know. Then we went for it. So, so there was a lot more to the trip because then the rest of the trip is just paperwork. And each city you stop at, you get a passport, you get a whatever. Interesting side note: he needed a passport to go from China to Hong Kong, but he didn't need a passport to go from from China or Hong Kong to to the states. Interesting. So when he landed in the states, he was an American citizen because we had right. all that paperwork and whatever. But he still had to get a passport while we were there because we were flying out of Hong Kong. So to pass from China to Hong Kong, we had to, we had to get him a passport. So he has a Chinese passport, the U S citizenship. He's like an international spy. So um, he's all, he's all set, ready to go. But, but yeah, that was the day. And then we, once we got all the paperwork, we got to spend one night in Hong Kong, which if we go back, I want to go to Shanghai and I want to go to Hong Kong. Those are the two places that I want to actually spend some time in. Cause it's just amazing. Um, but we just drove in, stayed the night at a hotel and flew out the next morning. So. Who did he bond with faster? Like, was there anybody, was it you or, or your wife? Was, who did he kind of come to first? I think the, I think he's the, the playful stuff was definitely me. Um, because we've, we've always, we've always done that. And even the wrestling and all that sort of like, just, that's always just been the case, but originally like just getting him kind of to loosen up with tickling and that sort of stuff. But with um, when it comes to, um, almost like the, you know, like the strong bond that's like, you know, like butting heads, but you know, it's all in love, like him and his mom, you know, definitely, definitely have had that. So I guess, I guess it's a little bit, it's a little bit of both. Um, but then over the year, I mean, after that, Brie had quite a bit of time off and then I came back to work and she was staying home with him. And that, that's what really kind of solidified the bond there. So, um, you know, there was a, there was a lot of the couples who were with us that were really, um, 
really concerned because their kids were just blank stares and they didn't interact with them and that sort of stuff. And we didn't really know how to, how to deal with that because Hudson was very interactive with us. He was very, you know, funny and very laughing and, you know, we would chase him in the, in, you know, all this. And I just, um, you know, that was, that was kind of hard for us to come up with a response to me like, you know, like, well, you know, that your, your case is actually more normal of what we expected. We're not really sure what's going on with this kid because he's just like, boom, immediately. And so we took it as, you know, a confirmation that, um, that he was, you know, he was just supposed to be there. So we, did you, when you, when the transaction, like when you transaction, when the transition came, Whoa. I know <laughs> transaction time, when the transition came to moving from China to Springfield, Missouri, what was what was the big struggle or what was some things that really kind of surprised you? Kind of go over just a couple things, maybe if you adopt internationally that a child from the United States probably wouldn't deal with or something like that, that sort of situation. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that we kind of knew going in. We did a, we did a lot of like training. I mean, with China, you've got to do the Hague training, which is, uh, you know, we, we did, I think it was 12 hours of that. We had also done, um, which this is a, this is a plug for anybody, anybody listening that wants more, uh, you know, adoption information, foster information, really just behavioral child information. Um, but the um, Empower to Connect, which is a, they did a conference. I know they had, they didn't do the conference this last year because of COVID, but um, they still have tons and tons of, if you just Google empower to connect, you'll see it's just the amazing child psychology stuff. So we were ready for some of that stuff. Um, I'd say the one that, um, that was probably the most uh, like just real, like we, we realized it is that, you know, him going from living with other kids and uh, maybe even having to, you know, fight for time, you know, with a nanny or fight for, you know, food. Every picture we saw, you know, he was in the front of the line, you know, trying to, you know, like that sort of thing to where he's coming home and he's an only child and there is no lack of food and there is no lack of, you know, we, we didn't really deal with, um, I've heard stories of kids like hoarding food because they don't know if they're going to get more or kids like, you know, throwing fits when you take food away from them. But we didn't really deal with that, but you could you could kind of see that shift in him, like wanting to fight everything or wanting to fight, um, you know, like uh, be possessive with toys and that sort of stuff when he was around other kids. And we were just like, I mean, we had, he's got an, 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 a cousin who's, um, who's about, I think she's two or three months older than him. Um, and so, you know, them getting together the first couple years was really rough because it was like this toy, whatever. And he just has, you know, there's fight, flight, or freeze mentalities. And he's a fighter. As a matter of fact, he's a biter. Like he would just latch on. And I don't know how many times his cousin got bit and it was just like, oh my goodness, in daycare. But that was his, that was his mechanism. And we just had to continue to remind ourselves, like this kid's fought every minute of his life for everything that he has. And he's just going to have to be reassured that that there's no, there's no lack, you know, that there's like, we're, we're here for him and that sort of stuff. And that's what empower to connect has really taught us a whole lot of that kind of connect before correct stuff where it's like, if he doesn't know that he's safe, it's not going to matter what you're saying to him. Um, you know, you, you say yes or no, it's not going to matter if he doesn't trust you. And so building that trust was really the first two, three years of, of where we've been. So, um, so yeah, did you, did you take some time off to try to cocoon? I know that's the thing that, building that attachment. Was that tough? Cause I know for my wife and I, that's something we kind of worry about like building that attachment uh, with yeah. our daughter at some point. You know, we had a, 
um, it was really great. The church was super gracious with us. Bree was working at the hospital at the time. So she got her, she got her normal maternity leave. And then she was also, she had also saved up quite a bit of vacation. So I think she ended up getting close to six, six plus weeks off. Um, and then ended up only going back part-time anyway. Um, the church, I, I just kind of petitioned and just asked like, um, you know, what, what is the thing we've, we've had some people take some paternity leave before a couple weeks. Um, but with the adoptive situation, I mean, that was a couple weeks out of the country, which I was going to have to take. And then I was like, so can I still, is there paternity leave on top of that? And so I, I actually, um, in our employee handbook got to write the, the adoptive, um, you know, the adoptive paternal leave or maternity leave, um, policy, which was really, really great. I mean, they gave me plenty of, you know, plenty of leeway and plenty of space. I think I ended up taking two full weeks off when I got back. Um, so that's, you know, that's five weeks total of just being completely gone. And then I, I worked, um, you know, probably three days a week for another week or so. And then, and then kind of came back into, you know, into full-time sort of stuff. So. Yeah, we, that uh, we've been looking into kind of the state of Missouri's policy and just kind of our school districts. And that's interesting to hear. So let's switch gears here. Tell us, so we've looked at international. Awesome. Tell us how you got into foster care. Kind of give us, well, why did you decide to go into that? What was your, what kind of led you guys to that? Well, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great question. Um, because I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Well, <laughs> You know, it was early, I guess it'd be early 2019 um, when we decided that it was, it was time, you know, Hudson was in a pretty good place. Um, and we were, we were considering, we were thinking, let's, you know, what, what if we were to adopt again? We started looking at finances. We started looking at, you know, pace of life. We just started looking at everything with Hudson, all that sort of stuff, just deciding what we want to do. And, and kind of where we landed was, well, while we're figuring out what we're doing um, or while we're saving money or whatever, um, what if we, what if we fostered and, and we opened our home up to, to foster kids. And one of the, one of the main things with us was we, um, we didn't want to foster any, we didn't want to foster older than Hudson because at that point our, our priority is Hudson. You know, he's, he's the, um, you know, getting him in a safe and stable, you know, continue as just, it should be. Yeah. He's just getting ready to start kindergarten, all of that. And so we really didn't want to mess with uh, birth order. You know, if this were to move towards adoption, that sort of stuff. So we're, we were interested in adoption from the start of foster care, but we were also just going in saying emergency placements, um, you know, weekend placements, respite care, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so we started doing the classes. Um, we, we, just got the classes in. I think it was December when we finished our foster classes. So kind of before stuff started going crazy. Um, DC pre COVID PC. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, and, and so we got those done, we got certified, went through a whole nother, we it had been long enough that we actually had to do another home study, which was lucky you really frustrating, you know? So, um, but, uh, but yeah, that, um, that all we got, we got our certification and then we had one other placement, which was just an emergency. Mom had, you know, sent the chase, sent the cops on a chase down through Missouri and ended up in Springfield in a ditch with a baby in the back seat. And so the baby came to us for just three days until they transferred her back up to where her mom um, would be would be um, in jail and go go through that process up there. So she went to another county. So that was our that was an eight month old little girl. And she, um, she was just there for three days and we were like, okay, well, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? 
Um, you know, this, they told us going through all the things, you're never going to get babies. Um, and within, honestly, within, I'm not saying this is everybody, this is going to be everybody's experience. I don't know. Oh, trust me. I know we were told the same thing. So we were, yeah, you're not going to get not, any kids. You're not gonna get babies. And I, I would tell people that too. Like if you're going in there just to get a baby, like it's the wrong way, which we were just like, we set our, um, our age at three, I think maybe even four and under. And we got calls for way more than that. We got calls for sibling groups and all that. We just got tons of calls. But, um, but for us, it was just, you know, uh, it was just a matter of, you know, let's, let's make sure this is the right fit for our family, for Hudson. Um, and then right before uh, Springfield shut down, I mean, right before Springfield shut down, which would be like mid-March, um, right around spring break time, we got a call from a, a, a little baby who'd been in the NICU, which my wife was working there for a month. Um, and so she'd been there a month and she was born two months early, three months early, actually. Um, and so we were asked if we would take placement um, until they figured out. So mom, mom had abandoned the baby. Dad was still interested, but he um, had found himself in some legal trouble and was going to end up being in, in, in the jail. So we, um, so we took her and she's still there. So, uh, she's still, still at our house. So little baby E, she is there and she is, um, she's nine months old last Sunday and we are just in for whatever. I mean, she's a precious, uh, precious little African-American baby and she's just smiling all the time. It's just amazing, um, to see her grow and to, I mean, she's, she's already catching up with milestones. I mean, being that many months behind premature, she's catching up to the scales and that sort of stuff. Now she's eating well, all of this stuff. So, so our, our journey for that was like, now, what are we, are we still fostering or are we just going to you know, are we just going to ride it out with this girl and, and see what happens, which is where we are now. I mean, um, we might be one and done when it comes to, you know, a placement and actually in the home for, for long-term, but um, we're, we're letting the legal stuff kind of shake out with that. And that's, that's been the hardest part, honestly, with foster. Cause they'll tell you right when you start fostering um, that reunification is the, is the number one goal with the family. Number one goal, number and, one. And that's, that's the toughest part. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome, but it's tough because, especially, you know, now that you have your son and, you know, having children coming in and out possibly that's, that's gotta be tough. That's something that Greta and I looked at heavily was, could we have a child come in for six months and then, you know, our sons get attached and then go, which is awesome because you want that reunification, but that's tough. Yeah. And I won't, I won't won't lie. I mean, she's been, she's been with us seven, seven months. And if, if things shape up, like, I mean, we, you know, we pray for her dad and it, that he can get stuff straightened out and that sort of stuff. But man, it's, it would be, a, it would be a devastating blow. Um, and that's, that's a relationship that, you know, like, cause she's, she's obviously bonded with us and that sort of stuff. And so that would be, that would be heartbreaking on one end, but also really redemptive on another to just see him going from a, a place where it doesn't look like he has a shot to actually getting his life put back together. You know, you got to see the story as a whole family, which we know her. And, you know, obviously that's our job as foster parents to, to look out for her and to, you know, to give her everything we got until, until we don't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we're, we're just in for whatever she needs. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of our, our position now. So. All right. So the title of the episode is multi multi family. And that kind of brings us to the core here being a multiracial family and something that my wife and I are trying to prepare for, what, what has it been like? What has been a big change? Have you seen, are you noticing things more now that you have, you have a Chinese son and you have an African-American foster daughter right now. 
I'm sure like as in our training, we did a lot of like microaggressions and have you noticed that I know they're younger. And so maybe you don't get as, as much Do you, do you get you no know, nurses when you bring uh, your son in like, Oh, is this, is are you the nanny or is this your foster child? I mean, I guess in your situation, it'll be your foster daughter, but like kind of explain like, how has that process been? And real quick, when you were in China, did the Chinese, when you had your son, did they look at you kind of funny? Yeah, that one was, uh, that was really interesting because he, he threw quite a few like epic fits. Like when we were in China, Docking. kids do that. Right? Yeah, right. And so one, one I can remember particular, we were at this game park. It's like a, like this huge zoo, like the biggest zoo I've ever been to in the middle of China. And we're just this, this safari park, just walking around. And I mean, he is losing his mind and we're just standing in line for the train. And I mean, he's just going crazy. We're just trying to control him, trying to get him to not hurt himself or whatever. And it's really interesting. You know, the Chinese culture is very interesting with that. Like nobody tried to stop anything. Nobody, no one was like, but I mean, everybody just stared at us. Like we just were just getting like these blank stares of like, you couldn't really tell what they were thinking. Like, it wasn't like, did you steal that child or whatever? But they're just like, are you going to take care of that? Like, like my child would never, you know, like that sort of a thing. And all these other children are like perfectly standing. Oh, alive I understand it. We went to Disney world. My son's decided one of my sons pushed the other one down off of a ride. Like we were getting <laughs> off of, I think the mine train or whatever. And my, my middle, but I don't remember who it was. They just, they're fighting on the middle of getting off this ride. I, and, and so I, I get that. So, so we definitely, we definitely saw it on the, on the Chinese side a little bit. Like we would, when we were walking, you know, we'd walk from our hotel to Starbucks and we'd carry him and, and some, you know, they just stare a little longer. Like, why do you have that child? You know, that sort of stuff. Um, and then coming, coming back, um, you know, a lot of the work that we had done had, had, had been done ahead of time when it came to family and extended family, you know, they kind of knew what was coming. There was, there were some things that were just like, you know, just having hard conversations of, you know, um, you know, we've got, we've got grandparents that, you know, uh, you know, grandparents that were alive in the World War II era when, you know, Asian Americans were not, um, you know, seen as, you know, whether, you know, that's obviously a, a Japanese, you know, thing, but, but to them, it was just, obviously this kid is Asian and that sort of, so there's still some just deep stuff there. Um, the, uh, you know, both grandmas that were alive when, when Hudson came home, I mean, it was just like an instant, you know, melting the heart sort of a thing. And I, I feel like that's it with a lot of racism oh, yeah. is, is once you put a, an actual person to it, um, once you have an actual conversation, once you get a hug or you touch that person, you know, that's, that's, uh, I think that's, that's a lot of it. Um, so we haven't, we haven't really seen a lot. We did, um, you know, we, we have, we have really tried, even though Springfield is not, um, super diverse, um, you know, Springfield is probably about, uh, two to 5% non-white. Yes. You know? It's and very white. The majority of that two to nine, 5% is, uh, Hispanic. And so there's, there's just a very, um, it's, it's very white. So, um, for us, we've really tried. The great thing about Springfield is we have a big university here, a lot of international students, um, they have a sister campus in China. So they have a huge Chinese celebration every year. So that's something we try to get to obviously didn't happen this year, but we try to get to every year so that he can see, um, adults, Chinese adults, you know, our church, there's, a, um, we usually have, uh, Chinese students that are, you know, we have Chinese student class, all that sort of stuff. So he's getting to see, we just do our best to try to get him to see diversity outside of just our white neighborhood. Um, 
the other the other thing that we've uh, we've really tried to do is just be really careful with where we have him um, when it comes to like daycare. Um, you know, school system was just kind of like this is where we live, so you're, this is where you're going to go to school. But um, with daycare, like during the summer and then before when he was in preschool, we made sure that we we picked um, one of the more diverse uh, daycares in Springfield, which was downtown. Um, and his, he's seen his class to just different, you know, kids of different colors and ethnicities and that, and, um, even, even different economic, you know, economic statuses, like it was just really great. And he has a lot of really good friends from there too. So, um, the case with, uh, the foster daughter has been a little different. Um, I feel like Hudson gets away with a little bit because if he puts on a hat, if you don't look really, really close at him, you, you really might not catch, you know, it's not as obvious as, the whitest man in the world carrying a black baby. Like that's, you know, that's, that's you are very white. Yeah, that's me. You and my that's wife you. could win that award for the whitest. <laughs> so, so like um, that, that has been a little different. So yeah, there has been some, some instances of like going to pick her up at daycare and saying, we're here for, you know, insert name. And then uh, they, they have brought us the wrong baby before because, you know, they're like, surely that's not it, you know? And so just those, those sort of things, which you can choose to, you know, you know, take offense to, or just know, like, you know, if you show grace in this moment, that sort of stuff, obviously we have our eyes wide open to, um, to, you know, some of the bigger things. Um, again, we, we made sure that we chose a, um, a daycare for her that, um, would, that has diversity in it as well. Um, I mean, it's just a matter of, it's just the fact of the matter that where we live, she's going to grow up in, you know, if, if, if we were to adopt her, she's going to grow up in a, in a white culture. Um, and how can we make sure that, um, we're not, you know, that we're not as, as, uh, insulated as, you know, as, as it may we've been in the past, you know, like our neighborhood is just very, very white. So how can we make sure that we're, um, exposing her and ourselves, probably more so us to, uh, to diversity. And where can we find that? Because it's in, it's in the town. Um, honestly, it's in very sp- specific places of town and that's most of the places that most people in our class and our race would avoid in this town and so how could we um you know how can we make sure that um that that's that's not the norm you know that's impact i mean that's really impactful i think that's really important for anybody that adopts multiracially is that you got to you have to locate you have to ask questions and i think you have to be willing to take the hard answers i i do think as i and you know, I, like I said, I have two Korean aunts. So I'd always ask my dad and, you know, he was way old. He was like 16 when they got adopted. So he didn't spend a lot of time, but I think it's just different now. People are much more aware of the little microaggressions things like you bring in the wrong child when you show up. And I, I'm sure nobody, it, and nobody does it on purpose, but it's still a, a microaggression is a, that idea. So question here, we're going to kind of wrap up our last five questions here with you. Uh, first off, how has this changed your marriage? marriage yeah uh we were just we were just talking the other night about like you know we still have once we get the bit with the kids to bed and we kind of sitting there on the couch the tv shows that sort of stuff and it's like remember when this was like every night you know and we would yes. eat dinner at you know 8 30 9 o'clock you know all that sort of stuff um so you know it's obviously changed our rhythms it's changed um it, it's changed so much you know kids kids just kind of take over and that's that's really been one thing that we've we've tried to be mindful of is that it's, you know, it's our faith first 
it's our marriage second and it's our kids third. And I know that's not like a popular view, maybe not even on an adoption podcast. Would it be, you know, like your kid's not the most important thing in your life, but you know, um, if it's, if it, if your child is, then the marriage will suffer. I mean, like if you, if you don't take the time for the date nights, you don't take the time for the connection, like, um, man, it's, it's going to, it's going like anything else would like, cause you know, if you, if you decided you were going to work 30 more hours a week, as opposed to, you know, spend time with your spouse, I think we've just had to be really, really, um, mindful of when we do have that time, you know, that we're not sitting on the couch, just looking at our phones or that sort of stuff. And just like, you know, kind of vegging out on our own. Um, and that's important too, to just have our own spaces as well. Like we have our own spaces. We have, um, our couple space, and then we have our family space. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's been definitely huge. It's changed a lot for us uh, communication wise, because you just think about like, um, you know, there's only been one time when I forgot to pick him up. So that was, that was just once he got just to one out. time. You're doing really good. Yeah, I, just one. I mean, he just started kindergarten in August. So um, he got to hang out in the, you know, in the cafeteria for a while and, and, you know, whatever so uh it was just that that the sort of communication thing you know calendars well, I, I get you there. all that sort of stuff so yeah like um, i know my wife she she thinks it's funny that i'm interviewing people because my listening skills are not so great so you're doing great man i try i'm trying man that's that it's that active listening what uh so let me ask you this what's and so the part of the podcast is try to get dads to understand that we all struggle with stuff what's probably been the biggest struggle in your journey like just as a dad what's one thing that you really just struggled with? Um, I, I am, uh, <laughs> I struggle with the whole, I mean, you think of, you know, Proverbs tells us to be, uh, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Um, I can do two of those really well. That last one, um, especially as the kids get older and they find the buttons and they know the buttons. Oh, yes. Um, Very, wait till they get old. Wait, wait till they get to middle school. Like my yeah, oldest is right now. My, uh, my my slow to get angry like fuse has has you know it's worn down so um especially i mean you think covid you think close quarters you think lockdown that sort of stuff and you know our, our little guy who's now going to be six he has just found those those times and he just knows um uh, I, I like to tell this story because it's really funny. Um, he's he's obviously got, you know, his mother's attitude um, adoptive somehow. I'm not really sure. They're, they're both very that. They get that. They get that. Um, and so he, uh, she came out of the hallway after putting him to bed the other night. And she was like, um, did you let Hudson put that sign on his, on his playroom door? And I was like, I don't, I don't, did he put a sign? Because he makes signs and tapes. The kid loves tape things to everything. So he tapes up these signs and I was like, what, what does it say? Like Hudson's playroom or, you know, keep out or whatever. She said, no, he put a sign on his door that says, try me. <laughs> like, just try me. Just <laughs> try me. Let me see what's going on. My kids, my kids wouldn't post that on their door. They'd just be like, let's go dad. Come on now. Yeah, he's just like, and that's, that's been his kind of attitude of like, all right, all right, buddy, here's the consequence if you do that again. And then he's like, oh yeah. Like, you know, that, that's kind of been his, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, feeling out his, his, his boundaries and, you know, seeing, seeing what he can get away with sort of a thing. So, um, you know, COVID has, has ratcheted up that, that closeness as, as much, but I would say, yeah, just in, in kind of the stroke of honesty there of like, I, um, I, I, I never lean towards like, I'm just going to be quieter and more gracious as you continue to tick me off. Um, I'm just going to get louder and more angry, which, which I know 
it, you know, every time after I do it, I, I'm the one that ends up apologizing. I'm the one who ends up in the wrong because I've just lost my, you know, marbles over, you know, whatever it was. Um, something that was really insignificant, but I decided that that's the hill I'm going to die on. So, so I would say for me growing, like just being that slow to anger to um, somebody told us just the other day, when you talk about meltdowns with kids or we talk about, you know, kids kind of losing their cool um, that, that our job as parents is not to, um, is not to, to end that meltdown. It's to make sure that they're safe. You know, like it's not to end that problem because it's like, you know, it's like negotiating with a drunk person. Like you're not going to get anywhere when a kid is throwing things and screaming at you. Like you're not going to negotiate and go, can't you see that logically? You, you know, six year old idiot, you know, like, like it's not going to work like that, but our goal is to keep them safe. And that's kind of our whole entire family motto, you know, with, with our foster daughter, with, um, with Hudson, it's, it's our job as parents is to help you make good, good decisions and to keep you safe. Um, even if you don't make good decisions. Yeah. I think that's, that's the tough part. I think, especially for a new dad, like, you know, we're, we already have three sons. So we, we think we know what we're doing, but in reality, we really don't. I think so you need a girl. You need yes, a girl. And I do. Yeah. And uh, that is true. We do need a girl, but kind of wrapping it up here. What's, what's any advice you'd give to a, a guy? Cause I know there's a real, there's a sense that dads really don't want to adopt or foster. And, and I, I kind of want to break that myth. And, you know, what's something you could say to a guy that, you know, is on the fence. It's not sure they want to jump into this yet. Kind of any last advice. Any, maybe you, I, I think I asked less, if you had a billboard, what would you put on it about adopting, you know, for, for men? Yeah. A, a billboard. Wow. Yeah. I would say, um, I'd say a couple things. So I'm gonna have to get two billboards. Um, the first one would be that, uh, that like your, like your interest in the, the process is so important to your wife. Um, like if you have a wife that's like pushing for this or that, you know, she would be into this or, you know, like whatever, the fact that you would listen and that you would care. If you haven't seen the movie instant family net yet, you need to go, you need to go watch it. That movie with Mark Wahlberg. And he's that dad. He's that like, Oh, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we're, our life is fine. We don't need to do that. And then she starts talking about it more. And then he starts looking at the pictures online and it just, you know, it just breaks him down, you know, but, but that idea of, um, you know, you don't often see it where it's the dad that kind of takes that lead um, where the dad is the one that's like, we're going to do this. I'm going to help with the budget of it. I'm going to help with the, with the paperwork of it. Cause there's a lot of paperwork. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive and make sure we're on time to every class. I'm going to find books and resources. And that says a lot, I think to your spouse when they know without being prompting, Hey, you have to read this, or I want you to read this, that sort of stuff. And that, the second thing I would say is that if you start the process and you start to feel like it's too invasive, it's too close to home, um, that it's going to cause more problems than whatever, I would just, I would just, I would just urge you to, to, to keep going. Um, you know, one of the things that I think surprises most people when they start a process of adoption or foster is when they get into the home study and they start asking those questions that start making you feel uncomfortable. Um, Cause they're going to ask you all of them, all, all of the things I was thinking about before we jumped on this podcast. It was like all of the things that you haven't discussed openly with your spouse, they're going to want you to talk about those things. Um, and it's a really bad idea to talk about those things with, uh, with the caseworker first. <laughs> and yes. your spouse. So, so like, 
if, if you don't have a very like open conversation in your marriage on things of the past of things that, um, you know, and this is everything from legal to, you know, um, to, you know, that sort of stuff. And I'm not saying they're going to, you know, that they're going to push and pry and that sort of, they will. I mean, you're going to get the background checks and you're going to get the federal and the, and the state and all that sort of stuff. That's all going to happen. But if that's, um, you know, if that's what's keeping you from doing it, like, well, I really don't want to have that conversation with my wife about that thing in my past or about that thing of my childhood. Um, you know, that's a really, really sad excuse to leave a kid in, in the state's care or in, in a, in an orphanage, you know? So I guess, uh, kind of the, the meanest I would get was just say, man, like deal with your stuff, get over it. Um, you know, these kids need you. And, uh, and, and for you to, to, to take that step to deal with some of that stuff. Um, for one, it's going to be just positive overall. Anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be something that, that is better for your life, whether you foster or adopt anyway. Um, and secondly, you're going to get to teach, uh, you're going to get to raise and teach a child, um, to not make the same mistakes that you made, honestly, you'll, you'll, well, you'll you hope it. to, yeah. you hope to. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, they're going to be, they're going to come up with their own creative ways oh, to screw without up. Without a doubt. <laughs> uh, and that's, man, that's some powerful stuff, Alan. And, we, and I, I know I appreciate, I need to hear it as someone that's, you know, waiting to adopt is all our stuff has done is that waiting period. And just hearing your stories just kind of lifted me up, man. I appreciate it. And, and uh, your journey is phenomenal. And just you and your wife's heart, uh, having adopting and foster. I mean, you hitting all those boxes, man. Like we watched the good place. You got all those points now, man. When you go to the good, hey, place, you got all the points, man. Hey, we adopted our dog too. So our dog was a, was a rescue. That so doesn't I mean, count. doesn't count. Oh, okay. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. He's, he's kind of the worst, but no, but it, it's so powerful to hear you talk. And I know a lot of men, uh, are afraid, you know, to take that journey and take that step, or, or they're just kind of along for the ride. I think you're right. I think you both have to be bought in. I don't think you can, I don't personally, I don't think you can have just one in and then one sort of in, it just doesn't work or it's not going to be successful. It's not, it's not fair to the child and adoption's hard. I mean, foster care is hard, you know, that we're experiencing and in listening to you. It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be things, but nothing easy is ever, um, is ever, ever is anything good. You know, like I was telling uh, somebody, you know, when I won a state championship, we had been to the quarterfinals three years in a row and lost the same team. And one of those was on your wedding day, believe it or not, it was 2000. We lost to uh, Cassville 20 to 21 on a missed extra point. And that's called, that's called karma for not coming to my wedding. Yeah. You know, and that was a game, that was a year I thought we were going to win it. And when we finally did beat Cassville and then win the state championship, that was ever so sweeter. And I think those, those losses help us respect in those victories, but Alan, I cannot thank you enough. I know the listener, my parents are going to love listening to you. Um, but it's some powerful stuff, man. And, and hopefully you can come back on, um, you know, and tell us for the other kids you're going to adopt. I think you're going to take about 10. Yes. Right? <laughs> we have to get a bus. You have to go. We, yeah. get, we need you to get to domestically. We need more international. You know, tell us what it's like to adopt from all those other. So I would, I would just say and go. And I want to, I mentioned a few of those things like the instant family movie. 
Um, you want to talk about the losses and that, like, that's a real, like that, that, that's as close to I've seen as like a theatrical version of what could, what could really happen. That's more foster um, connected. Um, and then also that empowered to connect.org. I just looked that up empowered to connect.org. They have a podcast, it's parent training. Um, they actually have a, a link on their site right now that's called dads connected. So um, they're working in that realm too, of just getting dads involved in the process of, raising kids, you know, awesome. we don't have the best reputation. So there's resources out there. And, and I know that hopefully that some of these men that listen or, or moms you know, tell their husbands or wives or whatever, whoever listen, I don't know, <laughs> whoever listens, Indeed, yeah. uh, but I appreciate it. Mr. Mr. Tiger, pastor, tiger, dad, tiger, and like Daniel tiger. I really appreciate it. Alan, you're a great man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and I'm sorry, I missed your wedding uh, again. I know. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. And we lost to it. You know, it's a double whammy. Uh, we it's missed, right. it's we missed right. your wedding. Uh, so yeah. but anyway, Alan, thank you so much, my man. And you have a great day and, and have a happy Thanksgiving and a happy, yeah. happy holidays. Tell your wife I said hello. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Be sure to follow us on social media.